episode of Hashtag Business of AFCON, a collaboration between the Africa Football Business Show and the Africa Business of Sport podcast. Now, for the past five weeks during what has been an exciting, successfully delivered AFCON, on the Business of AFCON, we started off discussing the tournament details and the sponsors and all the participating teams that were involved. We then went to the huge issue of the media rights and where New World TV has left the media rights sector for CAF when it comes to AFCON. We then spoke to Professor Simon Chadwick, who spoke to us about AFCON, China and sport diplomacy. Last week, we spoke to Sandra Nzuku, speaking about the maximizing of business opportunities during AFCON. And today, we wrap up what has been an exceptional series with a conversation with a leading thinker within the football field. It's a great honor and privilege to have, as always, for the last time, the founder and CEO of the Football Foundation for Africa, Brian Wesala. Brian, welcome for a very last time. Thank you very much, uh, Jabu. I think it's been an excellent uh, series, and I hope this is not the last, last time. It's the last of the business of Wafcon series, but happy to work with the Africa Business of Sport podcast again in future uh, to collaborate as we continue to push these conversations on the business of sports in Africa. So thank you and uh, really looking forward to these uh, last uh, show. Definitely not the last time we collaborate. And the co-host, or my co-host, on the Africa Business of Sport podcast, welcome Adam Spio. Adam, how are you doing? Pleasant, highly favored as always, Jabu. I'm really excited for this conversation. The outcome that I wanted for the AFCON uh, came the way I wanted it, and I'm really enjoying the social media buzz and interaction that has been going through. Definitely the best Afcon we have had ever. So now there's so much for Morocco to do to not only emulate but go a standard higher. And we hopefully would delve into how this can be done from a sports business point of view. Couldn't agree more, Brian. When you think of leveraging Afcon for building long-term Sustainable Programs and Partnerships, which is the title of our episode today. What comes to mind when you think of potential strategies that can be created by the sport organizations such as CAF to leverage the long-term impact of AFCON, not only locally, but hopefully in the future host nations that come? Um. I think uh, tournaments uh, like AFCON, they, they come and go. Now we'll be waiting for probably another one and a half years before we gather again uh, in Morocco. But uh, what we do after this, both in the country that hosted the tournament and for the entire ecosystem is, uh, is very, very uh, important because all this needs to translate to the growth of the game, to the growth of, uh, of the industry, um, in this case in, uh, in Africa. And we have to look at these in uh, uh, primarily two ways, and that's the economic dimension and also the social dimension. You know, there's a lot of um, um, economic gains that we saw this year uh, with, the, with the Africa Cup of Nations in terms of the number of sponsors, partners they were able to, uh, to bring on board. Of course, Ivory Coast, I'm sure, benefited from an influx of, of tourists and visitors. So how do they leverage these uh, visibility that they gained for one month to set in place strategies that will continue uh, to turn this uh, tourism cycle, uh, for example. So what 
have they done? Already we saw the infrastructure investment that they put in place, not just the sporting infrastructure, but what makes the whole competition tick from the roads that we are witnessing in Ivory Coast. I think these are things that will serve them uh, beyond, uh, beyond, just, uh, uh, beyond just football. Um, coming to sports infrastructure, I think that's where probably we've been having a challenge and we have discussed this in a number of occasions. You know, there's these magnificent huge cities that have been built. How do they develop the local game in Ivory Coast so that they can continue to use this and use this in a manner that uh, is, uh, is, uh, is sustainable? Coming on to the whole continent, and we have first of all to congratulate CAF for a job well done in executing these uh, uh, um, AFCON. There's been a lot of financial gains from what has been uh, um, reported. So how do they invest these strategically throughout the continent so that we see the leagues, the clubs in the continent continue to grow? Are we going to see an investment in infrastructure? Are we going to see the support of uh, developing uh, you know, management capacity uh, within our football uh, institutions. These are some of the things that we need to think about uh, uh, going uh, long-term, uh, Jabu. Adam, when you think of strategies that are generally implemented when a host country, not only just at an AFCON, but at another sporting event that happens globally, there's always the question of legacy. So when you think of AFCON 2023, in your mind, what is the legacy and what is there to leverage going forward? I think the legacy is a realignment of talent, right? Local talent for the beautiful game. I mean, you look at the players that represented their, their country on the stage. Up with some of them being in the international leagues, they have that connection to the local people, right? So it's very easy to develop activations beyond even the tournament where players like Kessier, Adingra, players like Ale, the goalkeeper, and even Godot, who was the captain of the team, can be used for A, advertisements and sponsorship opportunities for sports itself. B, can leverage on their connections within their networks to bring in more scouts, to help in bring in money that can be used to develop academies. Players themselves can involve um, themselves in sports management by going to get uh, the right certification and coming in to develop um, um, what you call it, a, a, a really sporty feel about the country. So they should be able to leverage on the fact that they have superstars that have the right connections and can bring in the people so they can be used as middlemen for developments within sports. And I think that's a very powerful tool that they have right now. Whichever country would have won the AFCON, they can now leverage on the connection with the players and the country and bring in an influx of sponsorship. Who, who is to say um, Halle hasn't gained that traction where maybe now he can become a, a top ambassador for a, either an African sportswear or an African sports brand or an, or an international sports brand and through that partnership bring in activations for the country of Ivory Coast. So it's very exciting to see that the different permutations of direct impact for the nation, indirect impact where we can use the superstars to really change the narrative of sports, particularly football and Ivory Coast. Well, well, we've spoken quite a lot 
on him. So let's just bring him in. He is a lauded author across the world. I think one of the leading academics and thinkers when it comes to the football industry. He's not merely the best football historian, but from his books and the different ways he tells the story of where the industry is going, he's definitely someone I think could teach you quite a lot. So it's a great honor and privilege to have on the hashtag business of AFCON, the author of The Age of Football, The Global Game in the 21st Century, David Goldblatt. David, how are you doing, sir? Welcome on the hashtag business of AFCON. I'm doing well. It's good to be with you. Thank you for having me. David, you wrote an article which I always appreciate pieces of art, which I think an article is, in the way it brings conflicting and contrasting views and thoughts. And I think that's what your article did. Just as we were looking ahead to AFCON, you released the article, Awash with Fossil Fuel Money, African Football is Sowing the Seeds of its own destruction. And I think as Brian alluded to before you came in, it sparked lots of critical engagement and conversation amongst us, which I think is very important. So in the context of what you have written, how would you assess how the AFCON has firstly been delivered? And also, how do you think these ethical and environmental issues might be explored in the long term in order to secure the history or the future rather of African football in the long term? Well, um, as for AFCON itself, it was a great success. I mean, I agree with everything that Brian was saying. It was without doubt the slickest, most professional, um, best presented AFCON that I have seen. And, you know, for most people, the experience is seeing it on television and it looked great on television. Um, I thought the quality of the broadcast the um, quality of the sound, um, the quality of the pitches, the officiating, all of those things around the actual football, it was different, different class, uh, I would say. And although there were some games that were, um, you know, poorly attended, um, there were also absolute full houses um, that looked again. You know, it was a great televisual spectacle um, and exciting. You know, eight eight quarterfinalists who didn't make the quarterfinals last time. Like you can't come, you can't complain. Um, so it looked great, and in that regard, I think Total Energies will be very pleased. They got an absolutely superb product to attach their brand to. As you say, they were very, very, very busy. Um, on social media in a variety of languages. Um, and they'll be very pleased because their business is not merely to build their brand, but to present a benign uh, picture of the company to the African public. And I think they will have been uh, extremely pleased with what they've got because that's the power of AFCON. Um, uh, is that a good thing? I'm not sure it is. Um let me say, first of all, that the criticisms that I made of AFCON and its use of fossil fuel sponsorship absolutely apply to everybody else. This is just not Africa's problem. I mean, FIFA were taking Gazprom's money for years, the Russian state oil and gas company. UEFA have taken Gazprom's money and so uh, SOCAR, who are the uh, national oil company of Azerbaijan, 
um, and many other fossil fuel sponsors. So um, this is not Africa's issue alone. This is world football's um, issue. Um, the second thing to say is that I wrote it in full knowledge and acknowledging that the politics of uh, climate um, in Africa have to take account of the fact that Africa has produced literally none of the carbon that is troubling the world, probably less than 3% of all the carbon that humanity has ever emitted has come from Africa. So that needs to be borne in mind when you know one is pointing the finger or saying what needs to change and who needs to pay, is that Africa of all continents has contributed the least. The problem, as again, I'm sure you know, is that Africa is probably the place which will feel the impact of the climate crisis most sharply and most harshly. And that is a, a huge and terrible historic injustice, but that is the reality of the way climate is working. And it's not like it's coming down the road. It's here. You know, the, um, the floods in Mozambique, for example, last year, uh, the floods, other floods in Southern Africa, uh, on uh, the KwaZulu-Natal coast, you know, when Durban was flooded out, the heat waves that are coming. And I think it's no notable how hot it was in Abidjan. I mean, it was hot for January, hotter than it, much hotter than it usually is. Um, so it's a paradox, isn't it, for African football? On the one hand, the climate crisis is going to have huge impacts on the continent and huge impacts on football. Um, you know, I think we are looking um, 20 years from now at a climate that is, uh, in heat terms, more like the Gulf, where actually a lot of the time you're only going to be able to play at night. Um, many, many parts of coastal Africa, which is where all the biggest concentrations of population are, are looking at sea level rises um, and extreme weather conditions where the rainy season becomes much, much more intense and much more rainy, um, which will cause problems of flooding, which will affect all of the pitches. You know, the $100 million Chinese-built pitches, but, you know, the patch of earth in the township where kids are playing, all of these things will be impacted by um, the climate crisis. Um, so if um, there is going to be a coherent response to this problem from African football, it just seems to me that in the end, you can't be taking the money of fossil fuel companies. Um, and don't get me wrong, Africa needs power. Africa needs a lot of power. There's a lot of young people and a massively increasing urban population. But Africa at the moment is only getting 2% of the world's renewables. You know, and like there's a lot of wind and a lot of sun and a lot of rivers in Africa. Damn it, the whole continent should be self-sufficient in renewable energy. But while you've got companies like Total and all of the others who want to tie Africa to a fossil fuel-based future so that they can carry on making money, it becomes harder and harder to make that, make that shift. Um, so that's the case against you know, to, uh, having Total as a sponsor. Am I saying that CAF should just cancel the contract today? No, of course not. You know, contracts have been signed. And as the critics, you know, of my article say, like, where's the money coming from? 
I understand that. We have to be realistic about this. Um, it does make one think, oh, Kath, what were you doing with Lagarde that, you know, got us to the point where we're actually having to get money from Titar? Um, what I would say is that, you know, looking three, four, five years down the road, what AFCON says to me is that African football really does have potentially an amazing product. Companies should be falling over themselves to become involved, um, you know, at the AFCON level, but in the future, you know, um, women's AFCON should be just as good and just as popular um, as well as other aspects of African football. So, and Africa, you know, there are big companies emerging in Africa. There are big telecoms companies, you know, above all. Um, but construction companies, you know, other companies in other sectors um, that uh, in the longer term, I think, could be a reasonable replacement. But, you know, it can't happen today, but the conversation needs to start. The conversation, and in the end, it's not down to me. You know, African football's got to decide this, of course, for itself. But we really need to start the conversation. I think the value we're at stage one is that uh, CAF have demonstrated that it can produce a globally popular product. And I think it's really important to remember, I'm sure you've been having conversations about this, this is not just an African audience in the sense of just being in Africa. African players and the great diaspora of talent around the world means that a lot of football fans are now familiar with AFCON. You know, they're a whole potential audience. You know, everybody who supports Liverpool around the world, because Mo Salah's not there, knows about AFCON. So I think that's a really important thing. I think the second thing is that, um, as you know, the scale of migration from Africa to other parts of the world is very high and increasing. And, you know, Africa is increasingly a diasporic continent. You know, there are African African communities now, first and second and third generation, you know, all over the world. Um, you know, I, I stay in Los Angeles uh, sometimes and I find, oh my God, there's a whole little Ethiopia. There are tens of thousands of Somalians. There are Nigerians absolutely everywhere in the world. Um, so there's a whole global kind of audience beyond just the kind of domestic African audience. So I think tapping in to both of those um, is part of the, uh, is definitely part of the appeal. I mean, I think some African, you know, African companies that are getting big, and there are some very rich and powerful companies, you know, like uh, our man uh, Dangote in uh, Nigeria and his um, uh, concrete company. Um, there are some very rich Ethiopians. You know, you know, there are big companies. South Africa has very significant and large uh, corporations. Um, yeah, I think there's something. I mean, it seems to me those are the people that you need to be nurturing and talking to. For me, David, my question is, what if these fossil fuel companies decide to use an indirect route because they still want to be a part of, uh, you know, these competitions, whether or not you would agree with 
uh, Total Energy is being the sponsor of CAF. If you're taking, as you mentioned, the whole competition as a totality, which was the main focus of most of the Africans at that time, it was a good competition. And, you know, Total Energy is somewhat creating initiatives for some things here in Africa, although it knows that it's a hotbed for, you know, developing um, fossil fuel. So if they use an indirect route, they still achieve their goal. They can decide that, okay, so for us to have access to maybe um, CAF and its competitions on the lower level, not necessarily the highest one, we can structure a deal with MTN where MTN goes to do, or maybe MTN has the main, um, you know, partnership or sponsorship. But at the end of the day, Total Energy is benefiting. I'll give you an example. Um, so for New World TV, their ability to secure the rights for the FIFA Men's World Cup in 2022 was made possible by a company that uh, Mosepo owns, right? They were the ones that give assurances for the loan that was um, allowed or given to New World TV to go and acquire the rights. So companies can start to use indirect ways of still being involved. And in such a situation, how do you handle it? Because I personally believe the fossil fuel companies can get to a point where they say enough is enough. We want to help to fix some of the things that we have created or the damages that we've created. Yeah, I mean, the question of uh, indirect routes, it's not in the end the job of CAF or football authorities to endlessly um, police uh, corporations that try and get round rules. I mean, and this happens not just in this area, but in lots of lots of areas. Um, you know, I think, however, just saying that in a very simple way, we will not accept fossil fuel sponsorship. You can go and do whatever you want else in other realms, but we won't expect accept fossil fuel sponsorship would be a really huge statement. And I don't think, again, this is not actually down to Africa to do by itself. I mean, I think this needs to come from the top. FIFA needs to start. And FIFA needs to actually uh, initiate um, initiate this. Uh, can I also say there are also, you know, there's a debate here. Some people uh, in the environment movement argue that airlines and car manufacturers, vehicle manufacturers, who are obviously pretty high carbon organizations, should also be banned my argument would be um we can worry about those guys later you know and they are actually in the short term another source of sponsorship income i mean particularly vehicle manufacturers in africa who actually are selling to africans in a way that remember total doesn't actually sell anything to like people who watch the television Total deal with companies and governments. That's where they make all of their, actually make all of their money. Um, so, you know, I would say car manufacturers in particular seem to me uh, an important uh, avenue that one could go down because, you know, one way or the other, Africa's going to need electrical vehicles, you know, down, down the line. That's what's coming. That's what's coming everywhere. That's what we've all got to switch to. So I do think there are other options um, and other ways of squeezing out the fossil fuel companies. David, just to wrap up our conversation, 
and maybe to bring us full circle, as I listen to what you're saying and the possible solutions that are alternatives to fossil fuel companies having such a close relationship with African football. But do you don't don't you just think if you look at the football industry as a whole that it's just an inevitability that oil giants and fossil fuel companies continue to associate themselves with football? You mentioned that this should be done from right at the top with organizations such as FIFA leading such movements. But on the other hand, you have FIFA closing a deal with Saudi Aramco for the next 10 years. So are those things encouraging to other MAs and confederations to actually follow more sustainable programs into the future? If you look at African football, you do uh, rightly emphasize when you speak that this is not just an African problem. But if we were to just look at Africa once again, the money that's coming now from Saudi Arabia and the Middle East, which is fueling the growth of African football at the moment, you would say that most of that money is being made from all revenues that Saudi Arabia is using and pumping through their public investment fund mm-hmm. into sports investments within Africa mm-hmm. too. So do you, do you think there is really viable, realistic solutions in the mid to long term for us to move away from a fossil fuel world and go forward into more sustainable strategies? I don't think there's one solution. I think the answer to this is going to be lots of different solutions. There would be more than one thing. One element that could change, and let me say, you know, um, obviously I'm against, I think FIFA getting into bed with Saudi Amoco is just ethically and environmentally is a disaster, but that's for another, another show. One thing that we could be thinking about is the um, enormous carbon offsets that uh, FIFA, UEFA, and other large organizations are purchasing to make their tournaments carbon zero. And um, these offsets are often a complete disaster where people invest in forests in Anatolia that are never going to, um, you know, actually be uh, planted or won't grow and won't sequester carbon. Um, So why not get um, that money and actually quite a bit more um, uh, and spend it on climate mitigation um, in football. You know, I mean, I actually had a conversation with the organisers of the Qatar World Cup on this question. I was saying, look, there's no point in you saying you're going to be carbon zero when you're investing in offset programmes that won't really happen. Why don't you spend this money on supplying solar panels and LED lights to every African grassroots football stadium, for example. You know, there are other routes. I mean, the football world is awash with money. It is absolutely awash with money. Um, and I think we need to be more creative about how we uh, we pay for that. Because Africa, it's not right for African football to have to pay all of the costs, you know, via its sponsors or anybody else um, for climate damage that has been generated in other economies. So I think there needs to be a global north to global south transfer system within uh, global football um, that is um, focused on these kinds of environmental questions. Well, what a way to wrap up. That was David Goldblatt, the author of The Age of Football, The Global Game in the 21st Century, 
what an honor to speak to you. I think we had a very engaging conversation on a topic that divides opinion quite a lot, a topic that can be very sensitive to speak about. I think in the context of all the money and the glam that we've been speaking about around the AFCON, it's important that we always circle back to existential issues, which I think climate change and environmental sustainability is. So it's been an honor and I think very fitting to end the hashtag business of AFCON with David Goldberg. David, thank you so much and hope to have you back soon. Oh, I look forward to it, man. Have me back. Thank you so much for having me today. It's been a pleasure. As we wrap up the hashtag business of AFCON, I want to thank Brian and the Football Foundation for Africa, as well as the Africa Football Business Show, which reached its 50th episode during the series. Brian, it's been an absolute pleasure working with you and the FFA on covering what has been an exceptional AFCON. I have only great memories and experiences from this and we'll definitely collaborate again. Thank you for having us on the Africa Football Business Show. Brian, on this hashtag business of AFCON, it's very much appreciated. Thank you very much, Jabu. It's uh, equally my pleasure to work with you guys at the Africa Business of Sport podcast. And I, I'm really looking forward to what we can do on the ground away from the digital space. I'm confident about the future of African football, African sports, and uh, we have a role to play. So thank you very much for agreeing to work with the FFA of this series. We've really enjoyed the AFCON on the beach and, uh, and off it. And uh, yeah, the future of African football is indeed bright. Thank you, guys. And that is a wrap of this hashtag business of AFCON. Thank you so much for listening through the past five episodes. We will see you in Morocco in 2025. Cheers for now.